Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Saturday, November 4th. We are live at First Pitch, Arizona. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Chris Welsh here with you. Thank all of you who are live in the room for being Woo. here. Yeah! yeah. This is my favorite trip of the year. I'm a very lucky person. We all get to really travel for drafts and things we enjoy, but this, this, this is the best for a few reasons. So, I love presentations. I love panels. I love sitting in on other people's podcasts because it's really the best chance I have to listen to a ton of people that I don't get to hear as much during the season because we're all so busy. Some highlights, though, so far, right? I was thinking about some of the things I've liked the most because these are things that we'll probably dig more into on the pod over the course of the winter or things we'll even discuss a little bit today just because they're so fascinating. Uh, you know, Derek Cardi talking about shaded shifts and the way teams had to adjust to the new rules. That was really interesting. Jason Collette, who's here, predicting the magnitude of the stolen base rate increase based on spring training stolen base rates with precision. That was impressive. That was awesome. I thought that was right. great. Andy Andres also here studying the pitch clock impact on hitters, which I didn't spend any time thinking about. I thought only about pitchers with that, so I thought that was fascinating. And then something that came up today on a panel that Eno was a part of was deception fading over time. It's just a very, very small part of a pitching panel. But it, to me, like this is something that applies to relievers in a playoff series, like Paul Seawald, uh, even a guy like Joe Ryan over full seasons. Stuff holding up third time through the order because of familiarity and all these different angles with just you know what happens when hitters get to see a pitcher repeatedly. Does deception fade quickly? Does it fade slowly over time? Um, so lots of different angles to to really pull on. I'm just curious of the things that you guys have stumbled into uh, in the case of, of you, maybe with some of the podcast rooms or or panels that you sought out. You know what's really caught your ear so far. Um, I, I enjoyed uh, Scott Chu had a, a thing about rolling graphs and um, really like the the, the eye catching one was Ellie De Cruz's uh, change in decision value uh, that's uh, I think on the PLV site on the pitcher list site um, that uh, you know he was different at the end of the season than he was at the, the, the beginning of the season and how rolling graphs can kind of show you uh, people who've kind of changed something, changed and adjusted somehow. And it reminded me of a piece that I did a long time ago, which was uh, stupid and silly, but uh, it was called uh, Seasons Are Arbitrary Endpoints. Uh, and I do think that there's some truth in it. Uh, obviously, they're not arbitrary. They're, they're, they're seasons. <laughs> it's very not arbitrary. Well defined. But uh, uh, there's something to it where like we, we think of these seasons in these chunks and like there sometimes there's half seasons and there's players that were really different in at the end of the season they were at the beginning of the season and so something like a rolling graph can kind of give you a sense of like oh you know like the simplest one is velo you know 
Yep. Just look at a rolling graph of Velo and be like, oh, that was not good at the end of the season. You know, and I have to remember that next year when I'm looking at the full season numbers. How about you, Welsh? Yeah, the Chu, the Chu one is interesting because that was, I think, like a buzzy one. That was a lot of people were talking about that. I think that really jumped up. I was unfortunately podcasting while uh, going up literally against Eno and Nick Pollock. So that's the worst thing I could have uh, had done. So my experience has been a little bit different. It's been uh, podcasting and actually talking to uh, a lot of players. Uh, Eno and I did a couple dual interviews together, uh, chatted with James Triantos today. So my experience here specifically has been really fun getting to see these guys talk and open up, but then also see a lot of the really smart minds here get to consume the players out here and get to get some of the I talked with Blessing and Matt Thompson earlier just kind of going through what some of the early quick eyes are looking like for some of these players so mine's just been very uh, hyper focused on players themselves and you know uh, what everybody else's thoughts are and what these guys are but there's it's fun for the buzz there's always buzz about like a couple panels or a few things and uh, the, the hitting one was a really good one yeah, and I think the, the quality of the conversation in the hallways, in the cars, I mean, you could be in a, a car with people you've never met before, you land in these fascinating places. And uh, there was actually a, a pretty straightforward and simple question from Phil, who's here for the first time. He's in the room right now. He's one of the listeners of the show, and I've had a chance to chat with him a little bit this weekend. And he asked, who do you think the best pitcher in the world is right now? And Bobby Miller. <laughs> Stuff Plus says Bobby Miller. I thought about it for... 30 seconds, and I said, you know, I'm not sure, but I don't think it's Spencer Strider. And he's number one in fantasy, at least in terms of ADP right now. And my reasoning was he, he's so dependent upon two pitches that in my mind, the best pitcher in the world can't be a guy that uses two pitches as often as Spencer Strider does. You know, I'll throw this to you first. Is my logic terrible? And who do you think is the best pitcher in the world right now? Well, it's a way to kind of bring in this, this slide that I was showing earlier and the idea of uh, uh, familiar, familiarity with shapes over time. So this this uh, text that we're looking, this tweet that we're looking at from Cameron Grove, Pitching Bot, um, shows that uh, stuff is, is fairly flat through times through the order and location is fairly flat and then actual run value is through the roof. Uh, third time of the order, suggesting that hitters uh, have some familiarity with shapes over time. Uh, and I have struggled to make this actionable and put this in Stuff Plus and put this in a model, but it is, I think, uh, intuitively and in, in terms of this research, like it's there in the numbers that people get used to shapes over time. So yeah, if he's a two-pitch pitcher, then people are going to get used to his shapes over time. and. If he loses a half mile on that fastball or a mile on that fastball, maybe it's a much bigger deal than if uh, Zach Wheeler loses a half mile on a fastball because he's got a broader uh, arsenal to deal with. So my answer uh, was Garrett Cole. Uh, just because we have, uh, he leads the league in strikeouts over the last year, two years, three years, four years, five years. Uh, he, it's a really good delivery with good command. It's a broad delivery. It's velo. It's movement. He's always uh, near the top, and not always number one, but he's always near the top. And so I think there's a real high floor and a high ceiling. And so that'd be my answer, I think. I'm the wrong person to ask about that, by the way, after following Eno with any of that. Yeah. Um, Garrett Cole was actually my answer. That's where I was kind of going through and yeah. I was speaking at this because 
I do get kind of reminded, I was thinking on the hitter side, some of the best hitters over the last couple of years, whenever they struggle in one area, they'll be able to redefine in another. So I always think of like Bryce Harper from years back when he wasn't hitting for good contact, he was getting on base and stealing more bases. Or when he was getting on, you would have the batting average come up, the homer, you know, he was always just kind of redefining himself year to year. I feel like Cole is able to do the strikeouts went down this year, but his ERA got better. Uh, he's walking a little bit less than he was in years prior. So that was my answer. But, but what I also felt was I immediately was like, there is no answer. Like, I think we could do that with hitter. Like, if you ask me that question, we're all like Ronald Acuna. Or if I want to be annoy everybody, I'll be like, Corbett Carroll. But like, you know, <laughs> Ronald Acuna, well, I'll say it's Ronald Acuna. But when I thought of the pitcher side, I was like, there's a hundred different factors why I don't think I could give you the answer. I had the goofiest one. I was thinking like, I know he's not, but I was like George Kirby. I was thinking, God, it's elite, Maybe. low walk rates. He gets pissed when he walks a guy he want he the strikeout rate starting to go up like he's develop, developing himself into maybe being one of those guys but he's not and there's so many players that are not and i look at wheeler and gossman and i'm like no no that, that these aren't the defined best pitchers in the world so my first response was there isn't and i think that's telling and the second one was garrett cole so i people will probably wonder why are you bringing up such a, a broad question and i think the main reason is I, i'm I'm trying to figure out how I want to handle starting pitching in 2024. The changes in the run environment, how much of a priority is it going to be to get an ace in the early rounds or to pay top dollar for an ace if it's an auction format? Uh, we had the XFL keeper auction on Thursday night after we all got here. Of course, keeper league with salaries, there's lots of inflation, and there weren't a lot of high-quality pitchers available, and the prices went through the roof. And I think we could see a shift compared to what the early draft market is doing uh, it's going to look a lot different once we get to March. I think you're going to see some guys that are second and third rounders creep up a half round or a full round between now and then, which is always kind of interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, Welsh, I'll start with you first on this one. Are you changing your prioritization of an ace in light of the changes to the run environment in 2023? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're talking, I'm trying to remember, I think we were talking about like Michael King earlier on, and everyone's like, well, you know, Mike get cap, maybe you get 150, and it's like, well, 150 is the new 180 or 190, you know, I mean, so high capped innings look a lot different. I feel like I would prioritize like elite 120 innings than I would maybe just slightly less optimal 160 innings and stack them up. So, yeah, I mean, we saw some guys get away with less things. Sandy Alcantara kind of fell apart uh, this year, and that might have had a decent amount to do with the shift and other things, of course. But, yeah, I think um, I'm less going to, even more, if I can, be less heavy top-in investment, even though I know there might be less aces. Hmm. And then there's the overall glob that a lot of us will talk about in the middle rounds that I think I will probably stray away from early investment on pitching just because the environment is a little volatile right now. You know? Um, yeah, I think I do. I, I, I have this like bias towards, I love the like 120, I love the Tyler Glass nows of the world. Yeah, I want and so I think that I have to work against my own biases sometimes. And so I'm, I'm going to try and get two guys that can, that I can maybe project for 180 innings. Uh, however I do that. Blake Snell and Bobby Miller. Yeah, you want to talk about Blake yeah. Snell? <laughs> no. So, yeah, I did get, see, I got into it uh, on Nick's podcast, Nick Pollock's podcast about Blake Snell and wanting him higher than, than, uh, than, than he had. I mean, he had a 33 or something, and I, 
I was adamant it should be like 27. Um, so, <laughs> um, but so yeah, that's my bias. Like I love Blake Snell types because I'm like, oh, it's gonna be great. There'll be a ton of strikeouts, 120 innings, but I'll be fine with that too. Uh, but I think that uh, w there's a little bit of like innings are becoming so scarce uh, in the top end that I want two guys that I think can give me 180. And if Kirby ends up where Nick and I were talking about, like five or six, he might end up being a guy I have a lot of because he's gonna. Th I think he's gonna throw a lot of innings. They're gonna the walks are gonna be great. I do think I believe the strikeout is gonna be getting better. The slider's been getting better. And so that might be somewhere where I could get someone that I feel is a top five, top six pitcher, and then come back, you know, a round or two later with a Gilbert or a, just somebody that I think will have a lot of innings and be pretty good. Also, just to throw out this. Try to stay away from some injury risk really early on. And I think Kirby's also like a safe option. Like, mm -hmm. we're not going too crazy. He has this great floor. It's dangerous. I always say it a bunch. It's probably stupid at this point, but, you know, paying one year next year you're paying this year for last year's production but there's also something about like the cole reggans and the michael kings and there's these guys that popped up at the end you don't want to say like oh hey i'm going to find sp15s and sp20s halfway through the year and i'm going to be able to waiver wire some of these guys but the way things are moving and the more and the aggressiveness and the weight of 80 to 100 innings is on our fantasy team like it wasn't before it's like a little part of me that's like, there's going to be some of those guys out there. Uh, maybe you have to pinpoint the right organizations. Cole Reagan's is such a weird one. Nick's yeah. staring at me. But it's such a weird one because it was like what he was with the Rangers compared to who he became. But those guys do exist. So that's maybe like a tiny bit of the argument that I agree. Like one or two top end-ish guys. I just feel like I don't want to pay like second and fourth round costs for it. Get a couple workhorses. Get some back end guys with a bunch of upside like the Michael Kings. And then hope another Michael King pops up uh, a little bit later in the season and just maybe be more hyper-aggressive. Like in a fantasy football term, it'd be like uh, Puka Nakua was a guy that popped up in the very first day and uh, first week. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> and then you made the investment and you moved forward and you got this top-end guy. Same thing in pitching. Just be more aggressive on the on the wire with fab with pitchers that start to pop up uh, whenever it starts to happen in you know April or May. Question. You know, because you sort by innings pitched on that board. So we say, oh, I'm looking for a guy for 180 innings pitch. There were 25 of those. Right. Uh, that's why I want. That's why I want two. Yeah. Corbin, and then could you, would it be <laughs> because this gets to the Kirby point? Well, also love the Kirby uh, pick because that's who I would have picked. Uh, but if you can scroll up, if we could look at pitches thrown, because you know, you know, you made a good point there too, as well as workload, and just not to forget that all innings are not created equal. Yeah, George Kirby, 190. I would, I would bet you that he threw fewer pitches than Blake Snell did 180, probably by a couple of hundred. Uh, but you know, all innings aren't created equal, and so that's why for me, if you were to take, if you were to take Garrett Cole off the board and make me choose somebody else, Kirby would be the guy, and, and that's how I treated Luis Castillo last year. That was the guy that I wanted to get uh, from things. But that's why I'm looking at this. I was looking at that there, and it's just a reminder: there aren't a lot of workload guys anymore. And it, you may have to take a, you know, look for the next guy that's going to get there because some of those guys you're like, yeah, I'm not doing that again. And look, look at that, Kirby, uh, 2,800 pitches for 190 innings. Yeah. And uh, you know, right next to him, Zach Wheeler, 300 more pitches. Just go down to Jordan Montgomery. Is at 31. Who's at 3,100? Spencer Strider, 3,100 versus George. Uh, Spencer Strider threw 
200 more pitches than uh, Kirby. 300 more pitches almost than Kirby. If you're doing fantasy points had per fewer pitch, innings. that would be, it would be <laughs> well in his favor. Kirby was counting. I mean, it's strikes, yeah. right? You gotta get the, you have the three strikes for every yeah. But also, like, when we were talking about, to keep belaboring this, but, you know, if, if like, let's say 180 is the marker, here of like, I got to get like two workhorses in 180, there's 24 or 25 of them. So I, I guess maybe my point more is if I can find some few more of the values and maybe Kirby would be more of my priority. And a lot of us are talking about that here. If you're like, hey, I need 190 plus guys. Well, there's like eight or whatever it is behind me. But in 180, you can still get a couple innings eaters and then take some shots later in this big group of pitchers that uh, you might want to invest in. It's interesting because there's a lot of different skills in the leaderboard. If you just go to yeah. Fangraph, sort by innings pitched, like Logan Webb, 216, Zach Gallon, Garrett Cole, Miles Pikeless, Chris Bassett, five very different pitchers right yeah. there. So you get some guys that have these really good strikeout ceilings. But I think the thing about Kirby that keeps resonating with me is just the elite of the elite walk rate. And even yeah. his teammate, Logan Gilbert's not far off that. Like I can see double stacking those two guys because they've got such similar approaches with their efficiency. You know, Seattle's one of those teams that continues to get better if they pitch deep enough into games. They get wins in leagues where wins are still used. So, if I'm missing on aces, I'm trying to get an ace. I'm not like Welsh. I'm not waiting on purpose. But if I miss on the aces I want, I can pair up a couple of these guys in rounds four, five, six, and feel pretty good about that just because of the the things they bring to the table. Yeah, and there might be always a guy or two, by the way. And my mine sounds very blanket. I'm like the most gray area person. I'm just like somewhere in there. I say I'm like oh, I don't want any of these guys, but like if I got a little bit of a discount on Kirby, that would be a guy I'd feel just so good about. And I, I would feel the investment, my return, even if it doesn't have maybe the upside of like what Strider would provide, is just going to set me up so well to take a couple shots a little bit later. So that might be that might be the guy that uh, Garrett Cole, him. Those might be the early investment guys. If I miss on them, I'm like okay, I'm going to just start moving moving the tiers down just a tiny bit. Maybe Castillo will be there. Maybe Castillo yeah. and Kirby will be guys that aren't thought of as, you know, first two round guys that you can get in the third and fourth and be your ace and super, super high floor, I feel like. Yeah, Any the, Mariner pitcher is the, what we're saying. The yeah. early NFBC five drafts, as we've talked about all weekend, Luis Castillo, ADP of 31. So that's right on the round two, round three turn if it's a 15-team league. Uh, Kirby at 45, the round three, round four turn. And then you get a slight break before you find Logan Gilbert down at about pick 60. So, so you could four double, or five turns. You turn. could double those guys. Yeah, you could get a combination of them depending on where you're at. So I uh, do like the possibilities there. I think many people who are here uh, want a list from Eno. That's like a <laughs> thing they need to go home. They, yeah, we're, we're, we're coming for you. Enolist.com. Mm. <laughs> Enolist, yeah. <laughs> we're here to unveil Enolist. With my uh, Eno coins. So, what did you? <laughs> I wouldn't go that route. <laughs> what? Uh, what did you pull? What, what are you looking for right now that you put up on the screen here for the people that are present? All right. So this this whole list, and maybe I'll can I zoom in a little bit here. So this whole list, uh, top to bottom, is people who had above average stuff and below average ERA. So you'll see ERA minus. It's above 100. That means it's bad. Uh, and stuff plus, if it's above 100, it means it's good. So that's the whole list. But, you know, I didn't want to make this just about stuff plus, and, I, and I'm not sure that I even think Graham Ashcraft is going to be great next year. So I don't want to just blindly be like, okay, stuff plus, done. So what I did was I looked at quick ERA, and quick ERA is an ERA that's just based on K minus BB. So it's another way of like looking at somebody who has 
above average stuff, above average K-SBB, and below average ERA. Now that's a group I can really believe in because they are doing it in peripherals, they're doing it in process, and they just didn't have great ERAs last year. Of course, you still have to think about Park, so Hunter Green being on here, you know, the Park is always gonna make it harder for him. But this is a, a group of players that I will buy in. Uh, I, I don't even really see a name that I wouldn't buy, especially at, at given their ADPs. Like, I love, I like, uh, I love, I love these players. I want, I want a lot of these players. Because I see innings, uh, I see really good fastballs. They're not all the same. But uh, there's, they were all like have quality in some way, and I think we'll have depressed prices next year. Yeah, I think we should start with Hunter Brown, five oh nine ERA, one thirty six WHIP. Things started off a lot better than that. There was definitely a point, probably June or so, we talked about him on the pod, and there was a, a thought that maybe he was a top twenty five starting pitcher at that time. Things didn't quite play out that way over the final three months, but the future does look pretty bright. It was a 26.8% K rate for the season, 8.3% walk rate. I noticed the zone contact rate for Hunter Brown's a little high, 88.3%. Like, I'm wondering why he gets hit in the zone as much as he does, and if the reason behind that, if that's something that could be corrected, possibly to bring that home run rate down a little bit, because that's really something that's been biting him throughout his time in the big leagues. Yeah, I'm wondering if uh, there was some fatigue uh, for Hunter Brown. Um, I, what I have up on the screen right now is uh, his September stuff plus. Uh, and this is a guy who had a plus fastball uh, all the way through the minors uh, and all the way through his rookie season and the beginning of, of this past season. And here it says he has an 83 stuff plus on the fastball in September. So there was some stuff uh, that fell apart for him in terms of velo and shapes. And uh, yet, when you look at the full year and you look at the arsenal, he is a guy who has added pitches. So we're talking, this is now on the sort of scouting level, was talking to Kimball Crossley about, you know, what are the types of pitchers who can add pitches and um, I heard recently that like if you haven't added a pitch in your first like two years in the big leagues, you're not going to. Hmm. Um, that this is something that we can spot pretty quickly how good people are at sort of adding pitches. He's a guy who's already done it. Like these pitches that he has right now, almost all of them were added in the minor leagues. Um, so I think there's a guy who has a, a better feel for locations. Like this is a guy who's supposed to have 40 command. And even when he was not doing well, he had a 101 location plus. So to me, I see a guy who people were wrong about his worst uh, aspects. And yes, the stuff fell off, but uh, I still believe in him next year. And I think that the, that, that, that bad, the shape of his season, everyone's going to remember what created that five. And I think people, a lot of people will be out and not see the good that he also brings to the table. Do you need to see him in spring where you can get some stuff numbers to make sure the fastball is back before you're in or because he's going around pick 200 are you comfortable at that price point saying I'll take a chance that the stuff just comes back before I have to actually see it well you know it does become a question of like when you're drafting mm -hmm. I mean I'd love to have more information but we, if we do these early drafts I you know at that price I'm comfortable with it uh, it doesn't look like it was actually well it was some velo he dropped down to 95 from 96 yeah, just a slight drop. Yeah. I see Taj Bradley on that list, too. I'm curious, uh, Welsh, Bradley versus Hunter Brown, who are you more likely to draft with the prices being pretty similar right now? Ooh. The second half was pretty scary 
for Hunter Brown. I, I wanted to like anoint him in the very beginning. I love Taj Bradley though. I love the strikeout numbers. I love that the Rays were really active with him. What were we talking about in season where it was like they had him at the majors, I want to say completely get rid of the cutter because he wasn't feeling it. They sent him down. He wasn't throwing it. And then he kind of found that back. Like adversity in pitchers kind of gets me going. He can go deep into games. He's a strikeout option. Um, A quick answer to that for me is going to be Taj Bradley. But it also, I I was almost going to pose this question of these like sub 115, 120 innings rookie-ish pitchers would you rather have the full season knowing you're going to be probably more susceptible to the Hunter Browns of the world? Or would you rather it be coddled a little bit and just get like a hundred on the back end? You know, like, would you rather have less innings of the pedigree of a pitcher like a Hunter Brown and Taj Bradley or go through the bumps and bruises that we saw with Hunter Brown, which is all of these guys. I mean, very little. I can't I can't off the top of my head think of a guy that just did it the whole year without any. I mean, even Bryce Miller, we were like, oh, my God, what's going on? And then it was just so we know it's going to happen. But, you know, is 150 of that better than 90 of another top pedigree pitcher for fantasy. Yeah, is this like a Paul Skeens question in disguise? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Kind of. I also, there's a couple AFL guys. If I'm being honest, like I know we'll probably talk about them, but mm-hmm. you, you guys don't. You guys didn't get to see Tiedemann out here, and I saw uh, three of the four starts, and he kind of sits in that world. Jackson Job. Speaking of adding, he wor- he was out here working on a cutter. So you know, you got a couple of those guys that are working on this stuff that had minimal innings this year that can't be pushed. So it's like, would you take? 80 Jackson Job or Paul Skeen's innings, or would you rather them be pressed the whole season long and know you're going to have some really bad bumps? And I, maybe it maybe it backtracks them a little bit. You never know. Vegas. Yeah, yeah, great, yeah, great, great point. Yeah, I think I think with Tiedemann, I see the possibility of things turning out a lot like Grayson Rodriguez's rookie season, and just in terms of the shape of it, there could be some growing pains initially. There could be some time back in the minors. Uh, you may have to drop him at some point in redraft leagues, and that would be extremely frustrating because he's probably not going to be cheap based on the expectations for him. Yeah, Taj Bradley, I just had a weird, I had a weird, I had a hot flash. <laughs> You're okay. getting to be that age. No, how about this? I don't think that's supposed to happen to you. I'm not a doctor, but. Taiwan Walker? You think Taj Bradley might be another Taiwan Walker? Well, the thing I'm nervous about is that Taiwan Walker has a great fastball. It's his best pitch, and he's never developed anything that great off of that. And he's never been—he's never had a great slider. He's never had—you know—the splitter's okay. And I want to buy in this on Taj Bradley because I love the fastball so much. But right now on the screen, you're seeing that he has a great fastball, but Stuff Plus never liked any of his secondaries all that much. And in September, just really found them all to be kind of blah. And I'm fascinated if like this is a better package or if somebody who has uh, like an elite, uh, an elite secondary pitch, like an elite slider, if that's a package I'd rather, be, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a buy into, especially in this league where it seems like having an elite breaking ball is super, super important. Um, and we've seen Taj Bradley get in trouble where you know he does he has inconsistent command on that fastball, <clears throat> and then he gets in accounts where he has to feels like he has to go to the fastball and he can't command it and he gets blasted. Um, and if he had a secondary that was elite either by locations or by by shapes, uh, I would I would want to I'd be like a little bit feel a little better about buying in. As it is, 
I'm probably going to have some shares because the fastball is so good that I feel like that's a foundation. And if he can just tweak, like he was talking about, I, I need to throw the cutter more than 88. Yeah. And I went down to the minors and it was like 84 for a while. And then I made some adjustments and it was 88 and they brought me back up. So like, is there like maybe one more benchmark he can reach with the curve or the change? Like, could he just tweak it? He's through four pitches, mm -hmm. you know, so he doesn't have to add it out of nowhere. He threw them. He just needs to tweak one of them. So uh, Bradley is somebody I'll buy. And, I, of course, I have him ahead of Hunter Brown, I think. You do? Yeah, I'll have him ahead of Hunter Brown. That was a pretty disastrous ending. I mean, I can't ignore the, the five ERA on the season either for Hunter Brown. I think the thing that's fun about this toss-up <laughs> is I have organizational trust in both the Astros and the Rays, though, to work through it, to find ways to – game plan differently tweak, to tweak the pitch mix mm -hmm. and uh, I, I don't know like I, I think uh, I think I'm more likely to have Brown but there are two guys that could end up on a lot of my rosters because I think there's plenty of ceiling with both of them at this point Bryce was, Miller's getting a lot of ink yeah. by the way I was about to pick on it and be like well you know the Astros Christian Javier kind of went back and then you look at the Rays and you're like everybody had Tommy John so it's like well both yeah both of them yeah with their issues but there, there were just so many times late in the year where I thought Bradley was going to get that opportunity and it didn't happen so now I, I feel like I have no read on how much they want to yeah. push it at the beginning of the season especially. And I just I hate waiting through April with a player that I can't use in a redraft league. Yeah, It kills you to not have that flexibility, especially in NFBC-type leagues. I was looking for one other young player here. Brian Wu is on here along with Bryce yeah, Miller. We're talking I about Bryce to, Miller a lot, so we should talk about Brian Wu. I wanted to, I wanted to highlight Brian Wu because it's a possibility that Stuff Plus underrates him because uh, he actually has two sliders. And they are, uh, by StatCast, sort of mushed together into one slider. And so therefore, when we're looking at sort of movement profiles and stuff, it, like, it's, it would be better if they were separate. Uh. You know, like, so then you would be able to appraise both. He has a sweeper and a gyro slider. And so if you just average that movement out, it's not, that's not actually what's happening. He has two different pitches. And I think it's really important for Brian Wu because you could look at the wrong site and think that Brian Wu has two pitches. And uh, I, that would be wrong because he has a four seam, a two seam, a gyro slider, and, uh, and a sweeper. And I actually think that is a robust uh, full, uh, full arsenal of pitches. Good command. I guess you have to wonder about how worried are you about innings pitch leaps? Yeah. yeah it was a big jump. His was pretty big. Uh, what was the other one? Spencer Strider was big. Uh, so if like is that something that you that you track, sort of fifty innings plus or whatever? I mean, we talk about this every year and I know <laughs> the Verducci effect has been debunked for years and it still kind of guides the workload increases for so many teams. Some number close to that is always a little bit of a yellow flag for us, but Ultimately, I, I don't think I'm that worried about it. I think pitchers are healthy until they're not. That's sort of the new philosophy <laughs> I have. Is if it worked, if he made it through the season healthy, he makes it back to the spring, everything's still good, then I'm not worried about last year's workload. And maybe until the second half of the next season, maybe fatigue carries over in the long run, and that's where it starts to bite a pitcher. But generally, not too worried about it. I love that Grayson Rodriguez is on this list, too. Mm. What do you think the arc is going to be for Grayson Rodriguez? Tons of helium this spring? Yeah. He's already got an ADP inside the top 60 overall. Yeah, it's just going to keep going. And, and, and when we were talking about Kirby, I was like, oh, man, we, like it's, it's our fault. 
I, well, I, don't, I don't just mean us. I mean, like, all of us. Yeah, like, yeah. we go to these conferences, and then we're all like, oh, that's Kirby. That's Kirby. And then, like, we come back next year, and you're like, oh, damn, he's in the second round. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Gotta have, you got to have, like, the guy you talk about and the guy who's kind of like George Kirby, but <laughs> goes a little bit later, you don't talk about him. You speak about everybody is almost Kirby. This guy's Kirby-like. <laughs> Kirby-like. <laughs> we do too many pods. There's no way you could actually keep a player a secret at this yeah, point. Yeah, that's true. It's just not going to work. Yeah, it's a, a range where you got Grayson Rodriguez. I think I'd love to have Grayson as a number two, though. But he's sitting there next to Aaron Nola and Freddie Peralta. Oh, man, Aaron Nola. Hmm. I would take Freddie Peralta over Grayson Rodriguez at the of same Of course price. you would. Like, no doubt. Yeah, yeah so you're I'd, a homer. Just, just put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> Me? Never. You would take Freddie Peralta over Grayson Rodriguez. I would not. I would. I would not. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we've got a very special guest joining us today from the Cleveland Guardians organization. It's Kyle Manzardo. Kyle, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. You didn't know what you were walking into. You didn't know what you were coming on into. <laughs> got a live audience going today. This is fantastic. So for a lot of people out here, it's their first time here. For others, they've been coming out for 10 years. And they know that the Fall League is a kind of a finishing school. It's one of the final steps before you get a chance to debut in the big leagues. And one thing I wanted to ask you about is, how did, <laughs> we got signs. We got, here, I'll do the picture. I'll do the picture. Yeah, you gotta get a picture. We got some oh great God. signs. We got a, no, I want DVR to narrate my life. Eno shaves algorithm to get an extra inch of visual rise. And Kyle Manzardo is an 80 grade podcast guest. Great signs. Great signs. <laughs> Scott, I wanted to start. I just wanted to ask you, how does the day-to-day preparation out here in Arizona compare to what happens in the upper levels of the minors? Um, it's been really similar, honestly. I don't know. I've tried to kind of just roll from the season straight here uh, just because I finished uh, in AAA. So I think I had like a week before this started. So I tried to just kind of roll right into this do all the same stuff but it's a little odd here because of the timing like you don't get the everyday reps you're you're clocked against other players the consistency of being on it or even against it you know if you're struggling or you're hitting really well it doesn't allow you necessarily the opportunity to kind of keep that rhythm going so the AFL is like a different beast right right no it's definitely definitely a different beast especially like you got uh just like the day games sprinkled in with the night games um I don't know, this week we had like two day games, one yeah. night game. It was just, it's just kind of a weird schedule in that sense. Um, so you do kind of take it day to day, make sure you get what you need before the games. Um, Has that messed with the rhythm at all? 
as far I mean you've um, been you've been pretty locked in we've seen some big power numbers you're gonna be in the derby tonight we'll talk about but right. have you noticed like the rhythm maybe being off are you trying to maybe catch it I mean I'd like to think that it's you know not disrupted too much but I mean maybe in some sense um, yeah. just when you're stacking all those day games in a row and then you go straight into you know that. night game back to day game you know that definitely could screw up some of the some of the rhythm you have going. Yeah, so the, some of the, it's the strangest league for me. I, I love it, but it's like you, you, like you're still wearing the colors of your own team, and right. these teams don't really mean anything. Like it's a surprise, like Raptors. Right. Like, right. like, am I going to be like go Raptors? <laughs> <laughs> I got a Scottsdale hat on. Kyle's yeah. like, all right, I can't do the podcast. Yeah. I got a Scorpions hat on. So, but also uh, the coaching staff comes from different organizations. Yeah. Um, is there like, was there like a, a, a list of goals or a list of to-do items for you that came from the Guardians that supersedes anything you're the local guy saying? Are you learning from the local guy, even though he's from a different org and maybe has different philosophy? Yeah. How's that going on? So yeah, I mean the Guardians they gave me, you know, certain things to work on and stuff and, and be conscious of. But one of the things that's been really I think unique and cool for me is that our manager. Uh, Morgan Ensberg was my manager in Double A oh. when I was with the Rays. Yes, yeah. You know, before I Whoa. before I got traded. Go <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's like been a really I don't know unique special thing is that I get to you have that comfort get to, with them already. Know, yeah, reconnect with. Was it a little already. unique also because obviously the midseason trade you were you still new to the Guardians, so there almost yeah. could be I can almost see an element of them just being like. Let's go out there. Let's see what this is all about. Like, like how much are they going to really dig into? Let's do this, 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 because you're very new to the org and you really want right. to get at bats. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I, I'm here to you know work on hitting left-handed pitchers and you know catch up on some at bats that I missed while you know continuing to get get better with the glove. Um, so that's that is the goal. But it's been really cool, uh, just because like a lot of the Rays guys I know better than. You know the Guardians guys, yeah. Just because, and I, you're playing I, with Carson, and yeah, yeah, it's like I was drafted with Carson. I played with you know Shane, Workman, you know all those guys. I like I played months with them, and then a lot of the Guardians guys. This is my first time playing with them. On the left-handed pitching, are you the reason Tiedemann's gone? Did you run him out of town? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> hey, uh, you guys <laughs> you didn't see this. Times. I've been here for it. You took he took. I, Josh, I don't know if you saw. It. He took one in the shoulder by Tiedemann real hard. Uh, about three weeks back, I think. Oh, and Evo you, Shield. Yeah, you took it. Yeah, you took it strong. But uh, <laughs> that was one of the. That was one of the. Okay, yeah, that was the protection there. But yeah. he was one of the uh, the big lefties you were dealing with. It, it yeah. seems like you've done a good job. That entire team, by the way, that Peoria team. You guys, there is something uniquely special about how all of you lefties are hitting lefties here. Yeah. Um, I mean, Grand Poly, I've seen do it. Marcy, sure Grand Poly has reverse splits. Yeah, I think I could be wrong. But no, I think you're right. And uh, Marcy lefties. too. Yeah, it's crazy. Marcy, yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing I love yeah. about your game is like this this uh, combination of contact and power, right? And uh, one thing that we did see uh, in the jump to AAA was a little bit a little bit more strikeouts. And is that like a lefty thing? Is that like uh, uh, just they're have better command and they're like being able to, being able to like execute the game plan against you better? It's just like they're better, you know? Like, yeah. What, what or you know, um, is that part of what you're working on? I mean, I, it's not a problem because you're still at like 20%. It's not right. like you're striking out a ton, but it's like, it's a little bit higher than it used to be. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably a mix of a, a few things. The pitchers obviously get better mm -hmm. and they, you know, have a better idea of, of how to get guys out. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I think probably it could be you know a little bit approach based. Um, so you're trying to get to that power. I don't, yeah, more. I mean, I hit. I'm pretty sure I hit the ball harder on average this year, which I don't know. It's you just did. hitting. Yeah, There's I so many gives and, and takes with hitting. Anytime you're getting something, you're usually giving something up somewhere. You know, so I would imagine that's that's kind of went what went on. Well, that's uh, really interesting. That's how, that's how Corbin Carroll talks about hitting. That's yeah. He's talking about am I okay with like am I okay? I'm gonna have to. If I want to get the ball out front and pull it for power, right. like, I'm gonna have to make that decision earlier. Yeah. And am I okay with you know having a few more strikeouts because I started earlier, you know, or do I want to let it travel more? And you know, right. that's always a decision you're making. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm conscious of it. Um, not necessarily worried about it, but mm. um, yeah, nobody nobody likes striking out. Kyle hit the longest homer I've ever seen in Peoria, and I've been here a lot uh, for many, many years going to games, and you probably know that one. I think it was like 471. If you're in Peoria, there's a grass, then there's a concourse, and there's garbage cans, and Kyle said, I don't need those garbage cans. I'm going further, and he one bounced it out of the stadium. So nice. the power, hitting the ball harder is an under-simplification of what you've been doing here. But yeah. I talked to Carson um, uh, about the pitchers here, and what's really interesting, too, is I, I asked him, and I asked, um, I think it was Reggie Crawford about this, that I, I feel like I've noticed like more hitters being in tune to iPads and talking with coaches than I've ever seen before. And that just obviously could also be a technology thing, but I've seen more players with their coaches looking at iPads and trying to study. But Carson said, one of the difficult things is here, yes, those scouting reports are cool, but like, you don't know who's working on stuff. You don't yeah. know if they're going, like uh, Jackson Job's got a new cutter and nobody knows about that. And right. that kind of makes the, the hitting and the strikeouts can sometimes get inflated, especially if you're here, you're here to launch some balls and right. then all of a sudden you don't have a report on a guy that's throwing a cutter. That's what this, the, another unique thing about this league. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the scouting reports I'm thinking are probably here to stay. Say, I mean, you see it on TV and stuff too. Um, but uh, yeah, guys are working on things and it's also like, you kind of got to know know yourself in some sense like if a pit like I guess in Carson's case like if a pitcher's throwing like 60% fastball 40% slider like if you're Carson you're maybe getting a little bit more slider yeah you know or in my case like I'm probably you know gonna see see a couple more change-ups stuff like that yeah have you noticed a, uh, I feel like I've seen a higher degree of uh, fastballs higher up in the zone like they, they're trying to get yeah. you they're not getting you but they're trying they're trying to get you yeah I mean that's so that's another interesting thing uh, out here t for me to like get adjusted to because in, in AAA we had the uh, the what's the smaller zone the ABS zone yeah which was like really short up top mm -hmm. so it's like I kind of in my head was just eliminating anything anything up because the the top of the zone was so short there um, interesting mm -hmm. and out here the, those pitches get called now you know so you kind of got to be able to to protect it yeah did you like having the automated balls and strike system. I mean, I loved it. <laughs> the, pitchers, the pitchers probably didn't like it. I, I loved it. Yeah, didn't though. the walk rate really jump? Um, I don't know if mine did. Mm. I mean, I kind of went through it a little bit in the, the middle part of this year. Um, but, I mean, for most people, I'm sure it did. What was going on for you then? Uh, I don't know. I mean, well, I know, but I'd like, I, I just kind of got away from my approach. I was getting a little bit too. Uh, too poly, it's just pulling everything, mm. looking to pull everything. I think that like pitches on like the outer half of the zone, I was like Trying completely to too. beat by because mm. you know I was on time to the pitches like black in, which mm. you know 
another given poll. If you're right. on time to that, you're probably not on time to the one away. That's so interesting. Mm. On um, come back to the AFL, uh, it's something you know, and I have had a couple like standard questions we've been asking guys, and uh, we had this really interesting dynamic of. Obviously, there's some guys that are struggling from numbers. Uh, Carson, we kind of had that. And the, the topic also to him was like, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's AFL numbers. Like, what do the yeah. numbers matter? Well, I talked to James Triantos today, and I posed the same question, except like, buddy, you're hitting like 400, and you're right. like MVP numbers. Does that matter? Like, it's hard to like, how much does that not matter? So we can obviously know where the question's going to go, but like when you look at like the physical numbers, even if it's strikeouts, if it's what the doubles, whatever it is, walks, like, does anything matter for you here? I mean, I don't want to I mean, be dismissive that it doesn't. But. Yeah, no, it always matters. I mean, to like, to, yeah, like, first, to me, yeah, yeah, okay. you know, I don't know what other, how, how much other people use it, but I mean, it's always going to matter to me, um, certainly. But it's like also uh, like the batted ball numbers and stuff, making sure that that's all right um, is maybe just as important, right? You know, I'm, trying to get myself to like buy into that like those hits you know those hard hit balls will will fall eventually if you keep hitting them um but it's like yeah nobody wants you don't want like a low batting average yeah. <laughs> you know everybody love i we love were, that answer everybody loves that answer that you gave right there you don't even know how really? cool, good answer that was you did, that was a great answer yeah, yeah. especially for all the nerds here all yeah. of us like that's a great answer right. so. the uh we had an interesting conversation with victor scott about um sort of what the development process was like uh, with the the Cardinals, and you know, one of the things he said was like they gave me a blast motion uh, in an off season one year, and they told me three numbers that they wanted me to hit. You know, like it was about like maybe his attack angle, like maybe changing the number on that. Maybe it was a uh, like a bat speed number that they wanted higher, whatever it was. You didn't tell us what the numbers were, so you don't have to tell right. us what the numbers were. But uh, just could you give us a sort of general sense of how different it's been um, from one organization to the next? You know, in terms of what they, how they ask you to do things, what sort of benchmarks they give you, what they're looking for out of you. I mean, the so at least like hitting wise, it's pretty similar org to org. Um, I don't know, they're both pretty data driven, mm -hmm. and they're both you know smaller market teams that kind of need to develop their young players um mm -hmm. so in that sense it's been you know a pretty easy flip and is know, there a number you did you, tra you track is it just like a, max ev or is it barrels or is um it, or are you getting more process oriented like you, you were talking about an attack angle or i don't worry about the attack angle or anything i, I like uh average exit velo uh -huh. um so you just want to hit it hard. barrel percentage you want to hit it hard. i want to hit hit Here it like space. pretty hard a lot yeah. <laughs> I don't really care about my my max my max exit velo or anything like that. I, just, I like barrels too. Yeah. We all agree. <laughs> if I can hit it, you know, 104 a ton of times, I'd rather that than you know hit it 111 three times. You know. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Zach Geloff was saying me something similar. We can't prove that that's the definitely the best way. Like by the numbers, we can't prove right. that, but it's it sounds right. You know what I mean? Right. Zach was saying like if I try to get a 112 or something, it's gonna be like a more out of control swing, and it's gonna be it's not probably my best swing. Right. Like I'd rather have a bunch of 104s and 106s. Yeah. I mean that's that's the way I think of it. I don't know. To me, it's like the diff like. The difference in the feeling between hitting one like 110 and 105 is like pretty much the same to me. It, it's, like, it feels good. They both yeah, feel good. they both feel like equally as good. Like I don't know. I think like the pitch location is 
probably what what change what what is the difference? The one the one ten was down the middle. Yeah, or like down and in to me. You hit yeah. one one fourteen, and you're like, I didn't know that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> that one I know. Right-handed slider. <laughs> yeah, down yeah, in. exactly. Um, the other thing that uh, I think is a is a, a I don't know if it's a modern thing. It's a, it's something that seems to me as a modern thing is, you know, um, oh, sorry. Did you where did you where were you drafted out of? Uh, Washington State. Washington State. So, uh, do you stay in touch? Do you stay in touch with your uh, with your any of your coaches from there? Uh, here and there. Uh, so my head coach, he went, he uh, took a job at Wichita State this uh -huh. past year. So I haven't talked much with him since then. Um, but he's he's a but great. You, how about how about uh, is your father like a uh, or is there somebody in your family that's like a big influence in yeah in, in your mean, mechanics? My well. That you still talk to about my dad is he's kind of the one that coached me all the way up and then so up, do you keep in touch college. with anybody from the razor still uh no no because not you're much. One. yeah but I'm but one. even then so at, in cleveland you've got like the director of hitting mm -hmm. might have a roving hitting instructor you got your yeah. level hitting instructor right so right. there's three voices there you yeah. got your dad in there uh -huh. do you go to a facility in the off season no, I just hit with my dad. Okay. My high school cages. So you actually you you probably have a, a skinnier set of voices. What I'm getting at is like, there's a ton of voices in your head. Like there's a right. ton of people telling you what to do and how to do it. Yeah. How do you sort through all that? Like how do you filter? Through yeah. And like what happens if they say different things? Like how do you deal with that? Well, I don't know. At the end of the day, I feel like I I know what it should feel like uh, when everything's working the way it's supposed to. Um, so it's, yeah, you gotta kind of find a balance of, you know, hearing any constructive criticism and, you know, using that, but also like trusting that I, I know what's going on, you know, with my, with my swing and stuff like that. Did you see uh, Michael Brantley at the World Series? Uh, no, at the uh, ALCS, he was hitting and his father was in the- <laughs> No, I didn't see that. His father was like, you're drifting. No, yeah, like from the from the van, from the stands, it's like mm -hmm. you're drifting. Turn, you know. Yeah. That's awesome. Is that is that you're gonna be your dad? No, I don't think so. He, <laughs> I mean, maybe like a few years ago that could have been him, but he's yeah. he's pretty he's pretty laid back now. Uh, so, he thinks you're in good hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like you're in good hands. Um, kind of final here. You're gonna get to test your max EVs and your barrels mm -hmm. because Kyle's in the home run derby tonight out here in the AFL, which is gonna be pretty awesome. So how do you approach this? This is a weird thing that you're gonna be doing. First off, right. how many are you gonna hit when you win it? And then second, <laughs> how do you approach this? Because so, we're all counting on you. This whole room is going for Manitoba oh, yeah. now. So we all got Good you. Good deal, yeah. I like that. Um, yeah, so I've never done like a, a home run derby. I didn't You've make never done one. I Not didn't even make like area codes. Wow. Didn't, like the last one maybe was like uh, like a little league home run derby. <laughs> all those fences are two hundred feet. Um, yeah. the ones that we could do, we could all do. That. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like I don't know. I guess the gen like I like hitting low pitches. So do, oh, do you have a, do you have a specific person that's gonna? Th I don't know if there's yeah. one person. Yeah. And you've, have you already told them like give it to me low? Yeah, yeah, like low low middle. Kind of okay. Feed me there. Um, Have you practiced at all? Uh, you know, I, I mean, 
Not that you need a to, little bit, like a little bit. You practice hitting the ball hard every day. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, I, mean, I guess <laughs> yeah. I'm talking more the volume of just consistent pitching coming in and no. just trying to slant. So like I, that seems exhausting. I know the rounds are yeah, like two minutes really and thirty tiring. seconds. Also, it's going to be straight timed. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I mean, that's going to be probably pretty exhausting. <laughs> if it wa- so if it's we'll not see. you, it's going to be you. But if it wasn't you, who would you bet on tonight? Um. I don't know, maybe Sabato. Somebody like it's just it's really going to be about whoever falls into that rhythm. You know what I mean? Like you find whoever finds the the right swing early. You got to keep and is able to just repeat that over and over again. Yeah, because yeah. you're going to see somebody fall into the the right rhythm and somebody. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I've never done a home run derby, so it's going to be right, amazing. Um, only last thing I had just had. Uh, any, I know they can be simplistic. Any goals for 2024? Statistically, we did get who do we got? Triant. I got Triantos to tell us he had a stolen base goal uh, for this coming year, which is pretty <laughs> great. Not putting you on the spot or anything, but is there any goal? Obviously, health. Getting I don't full think he has a stolen in. base goal. Yeah, 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 he might have a stolen base goal. Uh, we'll but just for, any, we'll go for more than one. And, yeah. next year. and, and we'll got, all got accept. Each of the last we'll, two years. <laughs> we'll all accept uh, opening day uh, starting first baseman as well, if you'd like to, with the Guardians. But any goals for 2024? Um, you know, I just want to be be healthy all year. And be, yeah. I mean, I think if I'm healthy, everything will sort itself out. Um, but yeah, I guess it just two that's, that's the main that's the main goal. And two stolen bases. Two stolen bases. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got it. We got it. We got it. Absolutely. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. Thanks yeah. so much, yeah. Kyle. Really thank nice you so much for the time. Good luck in the Derby tonight. Appreciate it, guys. <laughs> As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I love that there's a derby here now. Like, that is new. Last time I was here, not a thing. Kimball Crossley does not love that there's a derby here. Why? Why is Kimball an old man Uh, about it? uh, He says they're pointless. They're not baseball. And I think also he's a scout, so, like, he he wants to learn something. He's not sure he's going to learn anything. 
fun police. Could just have fun, fun for police. two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody who went to the Derby last year said it was awesome. So I'm looking forward. And to I it. thought actually, I think I said this last year at this cast was there is actually something to learn because. Oh yeah, that's right. I, I learned a lot from watching uh, Vlad in the in the home run derby, which I was surprised because like, how much are you going to learn about Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Like we we know about him, but he was telling John Schneier, was that his name? John Schneier? Yeah. yeah. To he was like here, and you heard Camazardo do that where he's like low middle, low middle, yeah. and it it's like oh yeah, that's his a swing. Like so, you get to see their a swing. You get to see where their power path is and where where they can be a hitter. And so, what we learned actually, I thought what we learned last year was that Eduardo Julian can take the high pitch and and he like screams it, you know, oppo. And I don't love opposite field hitters that much because like the power doesn't play as well. But you can also get from that is like he's gonna have power and he's gonna be able to cover the plate. And he's not going to get beat by the high fastball, you know. Uh, so, you know, there. I think there is some stuff to learn, you know. Also, dingers. Yeah, yeah dingers are good. <laughs> you know, I also want to throw. Um, there's a really good confirmation in there because I've been talking up Kyle a little bit, um, and I was really, really happy to hear him talk about the high fastball stuff with the ABS, ABS system kind of affecting that. But um, a lot of people brought up Matt Mervis to me when I would do this. They're like, oh, this is another Matt Mervis situation. And one of the things I cited, and this is just one of those things, like I could never, I couldn't, intellectually, I could never compete with what Eno does. So sometimes you guys are just gonna hear just my brain just unloading thoughts on everybody of just what I've seen. And sometimes I can't even contextualize it right. But I've been saying, I said, one of the things that you saw about Mervis last year was he was getting beat low. Like he was just getting beat low by off speed, fastballs. And when I would compare it against Mervis, I, I had been telling everybody, that's not happening with Manzardo here. He destroys low stuff. That's the, those are the homers he's getting. It's been the high fastball. So not only did he say, this is where I want it in the home run derby, he also was like, yeah, I wasn't having even worried about the high stuff because the system, I wasn't getting those calls. So it was just like two pieces of confirmation where there, there's some negative stuff out there about comments art as far as a fantasy and an investment and that type of stuff. And we just kind of got like two very interesting, clear answers that kind of helped paint that story. And I don't know. That was, well, that it does, was a cool it does worry me actually a little bit that he's like, I'm a low ball hitter and I had some troubles with high ball and I just had the strikeout it, rate increase. You're like, eh. But the one thing that's nice for me is that like we had a strikeout racing increase to like 20%. So like he probably does have a B and C swing that can handle the high fastball. It's not maybe one that's going to hit for a ton of power, but I think. It'd be, it'd be hard to have a hole that obvious that everybody's exploiting and you still have a 20% strikeout rate. Yeah. It's, it's, so I don't think it's going to be that bad. I, I, I just enjoy uh, self-aware players and it's like a it's nothing I can put on paper to any of you guys it's it's an intangible thing that you talk to I've talked to players and guys are just like oh, I did you know I don't do any I do this and that but then you talk to a guy who's just like yeah, yeah I understand this and like this is what I'm doing we kind of had that Reggie Crawford was like that Victor Scott you know the the self-aware is it's a it's a obviously blatantly obvious tool that we don't scout, that it's like, if this guy understands who he is, his faults, that's something we can work on because that's what they're doing. They're prospects, they're, they're developing and they're working and it's, it's, it's not done at AAA or AA or their first year. And uh, there might be some warts, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's some interesting confirmation 
that you're looking for if you want to like be high on a guy like Kyle Mansardo. But he, I mean, he seems draftable, and he seems like a guy that even in redraft leagues and NFPC and stuff, like is somebody that might be worth taking a shot on. Yeah, I couldn't get him to say he was going to start though. I was like, come on, you're going to be the first baseman. Come on, let's go. But I mean, they have an opening. They do. Yeah. They went and got him. They they're sending him here. A lot of times, you send guys here to get the innings so that you can feel like they can play a whole season in the major yeah. leagues next year. We've seen that before a lot. So I I don't even I don't know if it's going to be opening day, but it's going to be early. It's going to be an early one. Yeah, I think the organizational behavior maybe gives me a little bit of pause that they might give him two more months at AAA since he didn't get to spend a lot of time there this year, and then we'll see him in June instead of on opening day, whereas in other organizations, maybe he would be a better bet to make the opening day roster. Or if they like picks, maybe they just uh, have him be on the opening day roster and go for some extra picks to build up that org. I always wonder how much a team will change its course because of spring training. Like Jordan Walker, I think, maybe was an example where they just put it out there. and Julio Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Julio's he just a great blew one. through strings right He was like, "Well, this is going to be really embarrassing for us if we don't put him on the opening you could day not, roster." <laughs> you could not send Julio Rodriguez down after yeah. the spring that he had in '22, and yeah. even Jordan Walker in '23. You just looked at that, and you're like, "How is this guy not one of the best hitters?" Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's always like, does spring training mean something? Yeah, I think teams are, to varying degrees, making some sort of roster construction decision or adjusting timelines a little bit based on performance. I think the doors open for Kyle Manzarder to do that. But that was really interesting. I think the other thing he said that kind of made my ears perk up a little bit was offseason, he hits with his dad uh, in the high school cages, right? And I think we've talked about players having to do a lot to kind of take development into their own hands in the offseason. And I'm going to be curious to know, like, as the years go by, like, how will that evolve for him? Will one day will we have the Kyle Manzarda went to driveline, yeah, right. the high fastball <laughs> problem went away? I mean, that could go away before then, too, but just knowing a little bit more about his offseason process gives you kind of some, some background information that we didn't previously have. Yeah, it was he, he had a, a much slimmer, like, I've been asking that question to people. Like, when I asked it to Victor Scott, he was like, yeah, I've got, like, you know, a coach I stay in touch with from West Virginia, and then I've got a running coach, you know, <laughs> and then I've got the director of hitting for the Cardinals and the local hitting coach. Like, he was like, yeah, there's a lot of voices. Carson was a little bit more like that because I, I asked a question uh, to get an answer from Carson Williams, and it was it was actually very sim- it was similar-ish. Like, I got some people, not a whole bunch. There's maybe a guy here or there, but it was a lot more of his own approach and mm-hmm. he didn't uh, maybe it's a race it was a race thing I don't know but um, yeah it was, it was well, similar to that teams one. are identifying the player development as a place that might be underserved and like you know might be able to put resources in and what is resources it's people and so it's like what do the people do well they all want to you know put their fingers on a player they all and how are these people going to advance within the ranks of player development they're going to be like I helped make that guy better <laughs> and so everybody you know what you're incentivizing is that everybody in the organization is just talking as much to all the players so then you're just like oh man I'm sorry player like all you got is like and then I saw the Michael Brantley father thing and I was like oh my god there's also dads and brothers and you know all sorts of people talking to them so you know it can't I think there is something about being a modern ball player where it's almost like anti-analytics away because you have to be like Shut up. <laughs> and then there's too many of you. I just need to go out and play. And then know? throw on a player like Reggie Crawford who's gonna do it on both sides. Yeah, that's gonna pitch yeah. and hit. And that was what we kinda talked with him about. Like that's that's just it might you might you could theoretically double it. Yeah. Uh, people telling you how to pitch, telling you how to hit orgs, it's it's wild. 
yeah. a long layoff for Reggie Crawford really since he's hit last too. So yeah. and he was like, I just have to play. Like yeah. literally, I know there's a lot of voices and there's a lot of stuff we want to do and we we're making plans and we have a we are, we're gonna have meetings and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, that sounds exhausting. Uh, but he was also like, but I'm out here because I have you know I have to play. I just haven't played. I need to play. So you have stuff plus numbers for some of the pitchers in this league, and as people who've been here before know, or if you're familiar with prospects and you've looked at some of the rosters, pitching is thin out here, which I think makes it pretty hard to make those leaps toward the big leagues if you got some things you're trying to work on. But have you found any sleepers using stuff plus out here in the AFL? You know, I know Jackson, Job, and Ricky T. And we got numbers on those guys, so we'll, we'll definitely bring them up, but. Did you find anyone that just jumped off the page in terms of being filthy? Uh, well, I'm just trying to get it. I'm sorry. Uh, yes. Um, phrasing. Yeah. Uh, phrasing. <laughs> Two minutes uh, for phrasing. <laughs> Jackson. Uh, Jackson Job is a guy that had, uh, I think, the best stuff plus in high A. Um, come on. So I just one. one. Yeah. Uh, Jackson Job had the best stuff plus in uh, in high A, and he has the second stuff best stuff plus among guys with 100 uh, plus pitches uh, in the AFL. Um, and it loves his new cutter. That's the uh, that he's modeling after uh, Jake Degrom. He has like a 92 mile an hour slider. He's throwing uh, cutter slider thingy. Um, and uh, so I expected him uh, to be on this list. I did not expect uh, number one. So number one, uh, 100 pitches thrown, Alessandro Ercolani is number one. Uh, he also has, he has a 121 stuff plus. He has a 65 location plus. Well, it's a garbage stat, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> somehow, like, at that level, I almost feel like it does matter because uh, what we're also seeing out of him here is, like, a lot of walks. And you were saying that you've seen – you've put eyes I, on him. No, he's the one I – he's I have, like, very, very few players I've been targeting and wanting to see, and I, I haven't seen. seen but he – I believe he's the youngest player here. He's a teenager. It's him, Carson Williams are two of the youngest guys. And he's coming off a really good season with a big fastball, which is obviously playing in the numbers. Mm -hmm. But it has uh, been a little disastrous here. But the, the the one of the reasons we have all that info as well is Salt River was the only field to uh, give us Statcast data. And by the way, now we can't use them; they're they're shut down for the last three weeks. So we literally what? have that's yeah, the end of the Statcast. Data? Yeah, we have three weeks of Statcast data that only when a player played there so like i have a guy i don't know if we'll even get to it i can talk about it later but a pitcher that i love that has 13 pitches of data that we get to tell you about i don't need the data to talk about how exciting he is but it just backs up how awesome his pitch but that's all we got and it's done now and that's what i don't know why we don't have it at all the parks but it's only salt river but you get luckily you get a extended sample size because he was on the salt river team and that's kind of an advantage for like a young guy that might be a sleeper and that your numbers pop on yeah, I think I, I think I'd be interested in Urkelani. I mean, he's 19 and he's showing this big stuff, and you just like you know throw, keep throwing, keep throwing, keep growing, and, and well, hopefully we'll see better locations in the future. So, um, you know, the other names that popped: Juan Mejia, uh, also really poor location. Dylan Smith, and Carter Baumler, and that is the end of pitchers who have thrown 100 and had above average stuff plus at Salt River. Yeah, Salt River, basically. Yeah, yeah. With but five pitchers. I know. <laughs> but those location numbers are not surprising if you've watched pitching here before. That's pretty typical 
outside yeah. of a handful of top prospects. Command is really bad here. It just is. Yeah, it's well, a lot you of have guys new catcher. Yeah, I mean, guys were really young. Yeah, and the catching prospects here, arguably, kind of rough. Mm-hmm. And you're dealing with a completely new. You're dealing with different coaches. You're dealing with a catcher that maybe they're trying to hold the game or the pitcher's trying to. I mean, it, it is a weird environment for a pitcher. So I'm, I'm never shocked when like command numbers are off a little bit. You do get worried when. You see the 70 uh, location plus a little bit on a 60, few guys. 65. Yeah. I've never seen that before for like a major leaguer. But Well, you wouldn't get You there. start getting into the minor league numbers, you start seeing stuff like this. Yeah, You've got to get those at complex level. Yeah. We'll, we'll test that theory. Yeah, you're not getting to the big leagues with 65 location plus. Uh, Carter Baumler's had, I think, Tommy John surgery and shoulder surgery. He's just finally getting innings out here. He sort of stands out as someone that could be a little bit of a, a deep sleeper. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, Brian Mata also, you know, that's really 22 pitches, but uh, I would like to see that uh, he's got some good locations and good stuff, you know. So, uh, you know, this is really, it's a rough place to shop, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many, how many like, pitching prospects we've seen out here that we're, like, you know, excited about and that I'll tell you one. do well. I'll tell you one. I was going to talk about it on the AFL ones. I've already mentioned him. Uh, Emiliano Teodo, and people have listened to stuff. They've heard him. Uh, I pulled his numbers here because there's not a lot. He's the guy that we have like 13 pitches on, uh-huh. but he ended up having uh, 113 stuff plus on uh, Eno system with a 70 location plus, but he throws 102 and he can hit 102 consistently. And he also has a nasty slider. I talked to Triantos earlier and he was having a, I asked him like, oh, hey, um, you know, who's a guy that's been really tough? And he was kind of sitting and struggling a little bit. And then I just randomly was like, Teodo. And he like went back into his seat and he kind of like got uncomfortable. And he was like, that's the guy. Because Teodo out here, 11 innings, he's given up three hits, walked two, and he struck out 18. And he was a starter last year. Three hits he's given up. He's a starter who... But he's two-pitch mixing it out here? Well, he's got three, but he's been nothing but slider and fastball. There's only a couple pitches on the slider, but it was a 136.8 stuff plus on the slider with a, with the 117 location plus on the slider. And all that does is confirm what I put out on Twitter, that he just dropped a slider in on these guys after he hit 102. Nassim Nunez, I, if you go on my Twitter, at is the Welsh, you'll see it. Nassim Nunez literally just backed up off of a 102 pitch. He just took a step back because he's like, nope. And then <laughs> Teodo threw this slider right in there. So this is a starter who's going to convert. The location numbers stink. But this is a guy that's going to be a future closer. So I know that's tough in like fantasy and dynasty and stuff like that. But he, every person that I've kind of like floated his name to raves about Teodo. Triantos uncomfortable in his seat about him and he throws a hundred and two so i just hope he's in the fall stars game i don't know and i hope we get also, one like a five him. walk rate is another reason to be uncomfortable and he walks sitting, a lot but that's why he was a starter last I get year and he was a starter last year and that's why i think his future is in the bullpen that's one of the probably bigger no-name guys that people aren't locked into that i would really start to pay attention to even though we'd have like short data sample sizes Welsh, I wanted to ask you other standout prospects you've seen, just guys that have exceeded your expectations or shown really well out in this uh, league so far. Yeah, I I love Sterling Thompson. Um, If anyone's paid attention to him, he's with the Rockies. He's playing on Salt River, can play multiple spots. He's super comfortable playing multiple spots. Uh, I wish I had the data on it because he hits the ball hard. He's missed a couple homers at the wall. He's got seven doubles. He's stolen uh, six bases. He hits at the top of the order. 
Really good lefty, all fields contact, and uh, it's a really easy stride. I think he's super sneaky. I think he could be up soon, too. And he's been playing center field, right field. I think center field. He's definitely been in the outfield and second base. And he switched between, like, one week he was playing second, another week he was playing the outfield. Super this flexible. This is Chase you're talking about? No, this is Sterling Thompson. Sterling Thompson? Yeah, Sterling Can Thompson. Can play center field? He, I think he was in center field. He's definitely in the outfield is where he's playing. And he's and he, I but talked like to him about he's, it. he's there, but... No, no, he played it in season two. No, I mean, he's not good, though. No, no, he's good. Yeah. I mean, not maybe, like, hmm. elite. Not Victor Scott. Not I, Victor I, Scott I, I, got a, I got, like, a DH first base vibe. I thought he hasn't even played first base here yet. But I, I mean, think just like can. future, like this is a guy who's going the wrong direction. Like it's not going to be a center fielder. But I'm fine with wherever it goes. My point would be that he can play all those spots, and no, that's going to get you to the majors. Really nice. The bat looks amazing. Yeah. And if you can play four or five different spots, me personally, I'm not grading in real life prospect stuff, so I don't care if he plays center field. It, give me him second base all day long. I'd rather him or first is be, would be fine. So he's, I really like him. He's uh, I think he's top ten in woba uh, down here and. Uh, um, he, the, uh, there's a, I can make a recommendation. Down on the farm is uh, uh, an interesting site with uh, a newsletter, and uh, they send me, uh, you know, daily updates from, or maybe weekly from the AFL with uh, exit velocity numbers on them. Yeah. And oh, he's yeah, he has like, hit the ball like 111 already, I think. Yeah. So uh, hits the ball hard, makes contact, has a good sense of the zone. My only question mark was the defensive part, and if. You know, he's still. If they're still running him out at center, then he at least probably can play left and right. I've definitely seen him play right, and I want to say it's center, but you know, you go to five or six games a week, and everything just kind of molds in together. But uh, just a couple other names to throw out. I love Chase DeLauter. I still think he is like the most major league ready guy. Uh, I think he looks like a major league player. He's got a weird swing. I probably don't have time for it. I would have loved to have kind of gotten into the oddities of his swing that people focus on where it's, it's a little trout-like and it doesn't have like full extension. It ends, but he has more walks and strikeouts. Uh, he was leading in RBI for a long time. He's just got some of the easiest power. He steals bases. He's very – and the Peoria team is just great. And Jacob Marcy is another one of those guys that um, – I talked about the other day, just all fields contact. He's got power. He can run. There, there's Peoria's got some really exciting guys. How do you spell? D, uh, Delauder, D-E-L. Oh, uh, M-A-R-S-E-E. And uh, Marcy hit up to, he got up to double A. He is, t I think, tied for stolen base leader. I believe the, it's 17 or 19 is an AFL uh, record, and he's going to push that. Uh, he's going to probably push that marker. He has hit three homers off of lefties as a lefty. Um, we had some I, interesting I stuff love, we talked. I love walking strikeout numbers like this. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I think there's a lot of conversation around Marcy. I think he's a big sleeper. DeLauder is someone I want to invest in. And Sterling Thompson. Those three are like real good standouts I would pay attention to here. O outside of some obvious players, like Kevin O'Contra, of course. Uh, sure. Yeah. Kyle Manzardo, of course. James Triantos, of course. But yeah. Graham Pauly, buying the Graham Pauly hype. I, I did, but um, I love the power. I love the swing, um, but it's it's pretty messy on the contact. He went through like a two-week hitting 200 rut, a lot of strikeouts. I, th I think it looks like a good player, first base, third base in the outfield, but first week I would have taken him over Marcy. I feel very confident Marcy over Polly right now if I were investing. Uh, James Triantos, driveline hitter. Oh, well. I got a list. Jacob Berry, Jacob... Hortabies. 
Herdebeast. Herdebeast. Uh Caleb Durbin and James Triantos, if you care about those things. All I, four. I, I, I don't love giving, like, there's no tread. You just They went to tread. It's okay, fine. There are pe- bad pitchers went to tread, too. Yeah. yeah. You don't really hear about them. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's like a, a stamp of <laughs> approval. But, uh, I mean, driveline hitting is doing some things that are a little bit different than other places. They're really really into bat speed more than a lot of other places and I think it's an interesting conversation because bat speed is negatively correlated with in zone whiffs uh, there are you, there is maybe just a base level of bat speed that's enough and you know maybe you don't need to keep pushing it but you also look at the best power hitters in the league, and they all have the best bat speed in the league. Who were so. the four again? Huh? It was Herdebees, Herdebees uh, Jacob Berry, James Triantos, and Caleb Durbin. Three of those five are in the top 22 in batting average in this league. And Herdebees, I think, was player of the week. Caleb Durbin, I'm obsessed with, even though he's five foot six. He's awesome. Triantos is second. I know, sorry, Boggs. Uh, <laughs> Triantos is second uh, and going to probably win the MVP out here. I mean, all of those. It's not a pretty the, good list, right? Yeah, it's a pretty good list. Like, all of those guys have shined in different areas here. So there's that obvious correlation. Yeah. Any closing thoughts here before we sign off? Comments, Art, it was cool. Yeah. You guys are cool. Everybody here uh, watching is cool. Even me. It's pretty sweet. Even you. Col- Colette's all right. She's all right. <laughs> Colette's all right. Nah, Colette's a great friend of the pod. So yeah. we it appreciate all of you for being here. It's, a, again, probably the best trip of the year every single year. So with that, we'll sign it off. We'll thank Kyle Manzardo once again for stopping by. Thanks to uh, Mr. James Gale for producing everything all weekend, which is uh, a nice load off my shoulders. I, I love not having to produce the show. So that's wonderful. Uh, thanks a lot for listening to us. We're back with you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks.